this morning, I believe God has a message for you. And, and you know, all throughout the, the worship, I, I, just, I just see some things that I'm going to talk about. But this morning, I want to talk about the bride of Christ. Last week, you had a, you had a bride. Come on, stand up, both of you. Come on. You, your mama showed me those pictures on Facebook. I would have had them on the screen, but the PowerPoint is not working today. So I just, I just bless you too. We have two brides right there. There's two brides right there. No, 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 both of your brides. You hear what I'm saying? So, amen. We love you. Amen. And you know, um, yeah, that's right. That's so true. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.27, the Bible says that he's coming after a glorious bride, a glorious church. And, and the second part of that says having, uh, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I believe the Lord is, is calling his church, his bride, to be holy and spotless. And, and I, I sense the Lord has a great big iron, and he's ironing some wrinkles out of our lives. I sense that. I know that. And I just, just want to encourage each of you today just to be open for what God wants to, to do in your life. So the bride of Christ is really a, a bridal paradigm or a bridal perspective. In other words, looking at who you are through the eyes of a bride. You're not a beggar. You're not an ex-drug al- You're not an ex-druggie or an ex-alcoholic. You are the bride of Christ. We just need to be acting like a bride, holy, spotless, walking, walking because Jesus Christ is our heavenly bridegroom. We need to continue to look on Him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He began a good work in us, in us and He will complete the work in, His work in us. But some of us, Robert, you one of them, you say, I'm not a bride. You want to avoid that simply because you're a man. Well, the Bible says there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Jesus Christ. See, ladies, it's easy for you to be called a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus. But for a man to be called a bride, we just, that's different. Let me read this to you. It's different. How many know we're all brides in training? Come on, we're bits. Hallelujah. Experiencing the truth of the bride of Christ does not underman a man's masculinity, but rather strengthens it. So Robert, stand up and say, praise God, I'm a bride. And I'm married to a bride. Glory to God. We all need to say that once in a while. The Lord says, oh, you, we need to know who we are in Christ. We're brides. We're brides. A couple, couple things about, how about King David? Wow. He was a mighty warrior, wasn't he? A mighty warrior, a passionate worshiper, ravished by God's desire for him and fascinated by the beauty of God. Jesus. What did, what did the Lord say about David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22? I have found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. You see, yes, David knew how to repent. He knew how to, to worship God, but he knew how to be a bride. He, he, he worshipped abandonedly before the Lord God. He didn't care who was looking. And that's the way we need to be. 
abandoned to our bridegroom. And how about John the Baptist? In my opinion, he is the epitome of a true bride. Listen to what Jesus said about him. Matthew eleven eleven. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Hallelujah. You know, if you look at John the Baptist, he certainly didn't look like a bride, did he? Wearing those camel skins and he didn't have a bridal diet either. Locusts and honey has a bridal diet? That don't seem possible. But see, but John was there because he, he, he embraced his bridegroom. He encountered his bridegroom. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said to him, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Verse 29 says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John was a forerunner, wasn't he? He came before Christ. But he said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. How about you? Are you a friend of the bridegroom? What did Jesus say? You are my friend if... You obey my commands. You do what I ask you to do. I'm a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. And we just need to say, God, I want to be like John the Baptist. Ravished by your great love for me. Ravished by just being a friend of the bridegroom. That's who you are. Hallelujah. Thank you, my God. And do you remember, do you remember when Jesus started his, his miracle ministry in John chapter 2? The marriage feast of Cana, and, and, and the servant said to, said to everybody, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, but when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Anybody ever wondered about that? See, that's a, I believe that's a prophetic statement. It's prophetic because the wine points to the celebration of God's love at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's just, he's just pointing that out to you. Praise God. Also, the power and revelation that Christ is pouring out now is going to be revealed in these last days of grace. Why is God doing such incredible things around the country? Why are Muslims coming to the Lord in droves? Why is God appearing to them in, in miracles and saying, go to this person, they have your answer? Because the bridegroom is coming. He's coming. We need to be ready for him. We need to keep our eyes on the bridegroom. Not turn to the left, not turn to the right, but say, Lord, I'm a bridegroom. I'm a bride, and you're my bridegroom. And there's nothing going to separate me from your love. How many know that to be the case? Hallelujah. So let's talk about some characteristics of a bridal heart. Characteristics of a bridal heart. A heart that's, that's clean, full of... Passion for the Lord. I believe the first one is mandatory obedience. Mandatory obedience. This, this characteristic is based on God's great covenant love for you and I. He said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You are my friends if you do what I ask you to do. Mandatory obedience. Why is it mandatory? Because Jesus said it, didn't he? There's no suggestions in the word of God. 
during Pat's recuperation process, I, I bought her a book by Joe Lieberman. I know who Joe Lieberman is, the, the senator. Anyways, he's a Jewish man. Oh, big time Jewish. He, he parks his car in the synagogue on Friday night and doesn't pick it up until Sunday morning. He doesn't even drive his car on the Sabbath. Anyways, he's talking about, the book is called The, the Gift of Rest. And he said early in the book, he said this, he says, the Sabbath day, the gift of rest, the, the, the commandment of rest, but God has shown me that it's a gift to me. A gift of rest, not a commandment. You're the bride of Christ. Yeah, it's a commandment, but it's a gift too. Enjoy your gift. Enjoy the gift of being the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. A worship leader said this to me one time. Without worship in your life, with, without obedience in your life, your worship is just a mere attempt to flatter God with your words. Push that again. Without obedience in your life, your worship is just a mere attempt to flatter God with your words. When I heard that, I said, God, mandatory obedience. Loving the bridegroom so much that, Lord, I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want to hurt you. You know, the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You know, the word grieve is a love word. You can't grieve somebody that you don't love. Brother, if, if you had a, a loved one that, that died, you, you, you could grieve for them, but I couldn't because I don't know them like you. See? So don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't grieve your heavenly bridegroom. And, and then out of that mandatory obedience, we become volunteer lovers of our bridegroom. You see, the inheritance that Jesus has is a people who fully love him, who fully love him. So I sense the bridegroom in heaven is saying, hmm, I found some people here at Church of Living Water that really love me. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. What's the Lord doing in our lives? He's drawn us closer, isn't he? Come close to God and he will come close to you. So that the heavenly bridegroom is drawing you. Is he doing it harshly? No. No, he doesn't do that at all. Thank you, Lord. And then birthed out of that volunteer love for Jesus, we become extravagant lovers. Glory to God. I mean, talking about extravagant love. I have a man on my board. His name is Ron and his wife is named Betty. He brags all the time. And I'm starting to do this. He brags all the time. You know, Betty, that girl's just crazy about me. She's crazy about me. Don't we need to do that with our heavenly bridegroom? Jesus, I'm crazy about you. I'm, I have extravagant love for you. What's that mean? That I'll do anything for you, Lord. Say, extravagant love. Robert, I know you have extravagant love for that girl next to you. But, but I know this. You, you, begin to show, you, begin to, you begin to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That love will just grow together. You'll be meshed. Mm-mm-mm. I sense that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love is not satisfied until it is fully returned in a reciprocal way. The Lord, the Lord loves you unconditionally, doesn't he? 
We proved it. But I'm talking about a reciprocal love. Lord, I love you. Teach me how to love you more. Teach me how to love your commandments. Teach me how to love unlovable people. I'm talking about reciprocating the love of God that he's given to you. And he's given you a lifetime to do that. He has. Enjoy it. Go for it. Extravagant love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And those who have been married for a few years, you know this. Intimacy sustains intensity. Intimacy sustains intensity. I think we all need to get to the place with our spouses and with the Lord where you just look at him and you'll say, okay. Because you know what he wants you to do even before he asks you. Well, Gary, is that possible? Well, sure it is. He can put that thought in your heart and you just, it's, it's a natural thing. Just like, just like loving your wife is a natural thing. You hear me? Am I making some sense? Yes. I'm talking about being natural with God. Well, you're supernatural creation, but I'm talking about that, that. How many know that in heaven, agape love is the only thing that's spoken up there? Ain't no philo love. Ain't no hugs and kisses. I'm talking about agape love, unconditional love. Glory to God. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Verse 5, 8 and, and 2, 5 says the same thing. It says, I charge you, O daughters of Israel, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I'm lovesick. Man, I'm lovesick for my bridegroom. I'm lovesick for my wife, too. I'd seen her in a couple weeks, but I'm, I'm lovesick for him. I've not seen him face to face. I know he's there. Another thing I want to share with you, too, is a lot of people say, well, I'm married to Christ. No, you're not. You're engaged to the Lord. That married, come on, that marriage is going to take place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But right now, you have an engagement ring on in your spirit, in your heart. And so be faithful to that. Be faithful to that engagement period. Hallelujah. Mm. And how about, how about an overturned heart? Talking about characteristics, characteristics of a bridal heart, a heart that's overturned. God turned my heart upside down because I was living life wrong side up. Some of you may be the same way. Some areas of your life. But he turned me right side up. How did he do that, Gary? Well, the Bronzeville Revival really helped because I saw the glory in the presence of God, and I wanted that. And I was so sick of dead, dry religion. I didn't want anything to do with that. So I said, God, get me out of this thing. And he did. He turned my life right side up. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. But here's what I want to share with you. Once God turns your, your heart up right side up, you got to keep it there. you got to keep it there. So in other words, the Lord is asking you, how do you keep your passion for the bridegroom? How do you stay passionate and going after him all the time? That's the hard thing. I'm still doing that. Because the enemy of your soul and your flesh want to go upside down. Say, I need a little pleasure today. Or it says, no, 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 take pleasure in me. I'm your heavenly bridegroom. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Bless the Lord. First Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks at the heart. And I just want to say this. You can't overturn your own heart. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So allow the Spirit of God to overturn you and and to keep you overturned. Hallelujah. I, I sense there's some folks here, you're in a neutral gear. You're in a neutral gear. You can't go anywhere. Jealousy, envy is paralyzed. You're, you're, just, you're just in neutral. Others, you, you're looking at your past. All the past things that God has, has done in your life, you forget those. But all the sins and all the, you remember those every day. God is not interested in your past. And he does not consult your past to determine your future. So the Lord says, move on with me. Move on. And there's some people that, older folks, you say, well, praise God, I just got a couple more years to live. You're looking for the sweet by and by. But the Lord says, oh, no. You need to look for the now and now. Because today is the day of salvation. And you guys got a lot more work to be done for the kingdom of God. So get out of it. Let the Lord take over. Get in the back seat. Let him do the driving. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then, then the other thing I want to share is the Lord is looking for strong finishers. Yes, you're going to see your heavenly bridegroom someday, but finish strong. Well, Gary, you don't know what I'm up, up against. No matter if I know. He knows. He'll help you. Keep your eyes on the end of the race. Keep your eyes on the prize. Be a strong finisher. It's a marathon race. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. We must focus on our bridegroom. Hallelujah. And the third characteristic, a heart that is prepared and waiting for their bridegroom. Some of them need a little bit of help here. The Bible tells us in Revelation 19, 6, And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I hear the Lord saying to us, Are you really ready for me? Could I come today and would you be truly ready for me? And then in Revelation 21, 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And the Lord's saying, Be ready and be prepared. <coughs> Robert, when you and Jessica got married, you didn't say, Well, praise God, is it next week, honey, or the week after? No, 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 no. There was preparation. There was preparation. God could have, he could have taken you home about the week after you got saved. Huh? You'd have been a true bride then. Huh? But he's got some work to do in your life. So stay ready. Stay prepared. And I I sense the Lord saying this. Many of you are in a place, you're you're in a waiting room. You're in a waiting room. I, I hear this loud and clear. You're in a waiting room. I've been in two waiting rooms before. One's good, one's not so good. A waiting room of expectant fathers. That's a wonderful place. But the waiting room in the ER, that's not so good. Here, So the Lord says, stay in my waiting room. I'll knock on the door when it comes time to get you. Prepare yourself. Ready and prepared. Stay on your knees. Stay expectant. Hallelujah. Training for reigning requires a lot of preparation. And you're being trained to reign. 
So stand fast. Know that God is good. Don't be like our government where they have a quote-unquote an answer or program for everything. Don't they? Man, that bugs me to death. Problem? Hey, here, we'll fix it. What are you going to fix it with? Well, we'll just develop a program. Come on. Just stay ready. Just stay prepared. Stay in the secret place. Stay close to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. And then I think about Queen Esther. Mm. She had to wait a little bit, didn't she? She waited, she waited a whole year in preparation. Wow. How about Jesus? He waited 30 years before he began his ministry. Matthew 25, it talks about the 10 virgins, but only five of the 10 were really prepared, weren't they? They had plenty of oil. And how about you? What's your oil level? Do you have plenty of oil ready? And then in the, the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, we find the, we find the, the parable, of, uh, parable of, of the wedding feast. Y'all know that, I trust. But, but I want to just point out a couple things. Verse 4 says, Come to my wedding. Verse 5, But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and sent his armies out, destroying the murders and burned up the city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 10, So the servants went into the highways and, and byways and gathered the good and the bad and brought them into the wedding, to, to, to the wedding feast. But here's the key right here. But when the king came in to see this, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Did you ever wonder what that wedding garment was? Did they wear all white at weddings? Well, I submit to you that wedding garment in your life is the robe of righteousness. It's the robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ puts on you when you give your life to him. Some may have a, a garment of righteousness that, with some spots on it. The Lord says, I want to take those spots out. Repent of your sins and come to me. But you have to have the robe of righteousness on before the Lord God can allow you to come to his wedding feast. And you may be here today, and you say, Gary, I'm not a bride. I don't think about a wedding feast. Someday you'll see the heavenly bridegroom. What we have on. Hallelujah. Talking about your heart again. Talking about your heart. And, and a heart that's free of offense and unforgiveness. Wow. Talking about characteristics of a bridal heart. You are the bride of Christ. But what, what's that heart look like? A heart that's free of offense and unforgiveness. I just want to encourage you and remember this. When Christ died for you, he forgave you of all your sins, and he's given you a full pardon. You've been fully pardoned. Amen. Not a Governor Jerry Brown pardon or a Bill Clinton pardon, praise God. You've been fully pardoned. You can walk away free. Come on. Amen. That's shouting music right there. Glory to God. But I know this, the great forgiveness that Christ brings to, into our lives brings a great responsibility. We must forgive others. We must forgive others. But unfortunately, in the body of Christ, you see a lot of relationship problems 
that are rooted and grounded in unforgiveness, in families. Man, I see it all the time. Talking about a spirit. It's a spirit. I know that. So come to the Lord and say, Jesus, is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Here's what the Lord showed me. Gary, what have I done for you? Lord, you've cleansed me. You've washed me. You've forgiven all of my sins, forgiven, forgotten forever. He says, yeah, freely receive my forgiveness. Now freely give that away. Give it away. Give that forgiveness away. Don't hold anything back. You keep it inside of you, just keep it poisoning you, church. Get, get that unforgiveness out. Hallelujah. You see, what did Jesus say? Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, who've all been sinned against, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. We just need to, we need to say, yes, Lord. That's a condition of receiving forgiveness of sins now that you know better. So here's where we're at. The world we live in, this carnal world, is revenge-driven. But you and I must be forgiveness-driven. <laughs> we must, we, how can I forgive them? How, for, how can you do that? You can do it. Let me share what the Lord showed, showed to me. He said, Gary, you've been cut off in traffic, haven't you? Mm-hmm, I'm in California. And you have too. Every day you, you come across a situation like that. But under your breath, secretly say, Father, I forgive that boy. He didn't know what he's doing. See what I'm saying? Didn't Jesus say that? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Didn't Stephen say that when he was, when he was, when he was being stoned? Father, don't charge them with his sin. This is serious stuff in the, in the body of Christ. And I believe as true brides, we need to face this. Lord, is there any unforgiveness in my life? Do I have any odd grudge or offense against somebody? God wants you to be free. Free. Free to be a servant. Hallelujah. And, and I'm reminded in October 2006, you probably read about this. Do you remember in that Amish community in Pennsylvania where a guy came in? killed five and injured another five of those young girls in a schoolhouse. Remember that? Man. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's what a, a relative, a, a grandfather said here. Let me read this to you. He said, an Amish grandfather was heard afterwards telling his relatives, we must not think evil of this man. We must not think evil of this man. I thought to myself, how can he say that? He was a wise man. But the Lord showed me this. Remember in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, the Bible says they had all things in common. They were, they were close. The Amish, we need some Amish in us. They're close. They're relationship oriented. And there's no, there's no unforgiveness in their families. Guarantee it. You live with somebody and go be that. So get close to one another. God put some Amish in us so we can forgive openly. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. The bride of Christ is going to have no, no unforgiveness inside of them. Hallelujah. And how about an uncluttered heart? 
and uncluttered. Why do we have so many garage sales? Why do we have so many estate sales and rummage sales? We got too much junk. Come on, I know that. Simplify your life. Live simply. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12:1, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily beset you. Praise God. Just give it away. Hallelujah. I believe God is calling for an uncluttered heart. Uncluttered. A couple hindrances to, to a cluttered heart are these. Number one is busyness. Busyness. Corey Tenboom said this Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. If your life is busy, perhaps, perhaps you need to just step back and say, God, how busy am I? How busy am I, really? Live purposefully, live intentionally. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, the Bible says in the Amplified Bible, but Martha, you know that story, but Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. Some of you may be there. You're occupied with too much serving, too too many things in your life. In verse 42, he said, Martha, one thing is needed, Martha. Sit at the master's feet. Get into the secret place. Get into the the quiet place where I can do some things. Another another hindrance to, another hindrance is is worry. The cares and weights of this world. Matthew 6, verse, if you read chapter 6 of Matthew, there are six times in there where the Lord says, do not worry. Why do we worry? Verse 26 says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not much more value than they? I say that every morning. Lord, I don't want to worry. I just want to trust you. I just want to believe on you, God. And then how about desire for other things? Mark chapter 4, verse 19. The cares and anxieties of the world, the distractions of the age, and the pleasures and delight in false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things, the Bible says, creep in. See, lust and greed don't say, here I am. No, no, it just creeps in. So the Lord would say, keep your eyes on me. Be content with what I've given you. Just just know that I'm your heavenly bridegroom, and I'm going to supply all your needs. I'm your faithful bridegroom. I believe we've allowed the soil of our hearts to be programmed by this world. Don't do that, church. Yeah, they're trying to advertise a lot of things on television, but that's not our life. That's not our goal. That's not our purpose. You're a bride. You're a bride in training. There's nothing in this world that should keep us from being that heavenly bride, meeting that heavenly bridegroom someday. Keep your eyes on the bridegroom. Hallelujah. Let me give you some practical things here. Number one, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Come on. Get out of debt. Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University still has some openings. Get in there. Get out of debt. Live below your means. It's awful quiet. Live simply and downsize. Talking about having a, a church garage sale. Glory to God. Come on. Try it. And how about a broken and a contrite spirit? Talking about characteristics of a bridal heart, a heart that cries out, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
A broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. Wow. A broken and a contrite heart. Lord, teach me to hate sin in my own life as mercilessly as I judge it in the lives of others. Lord, create in me a, a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that says, God, I long to be with you. I long to be with my heavenly bridegroom. <clears throat> Some of you need to call the rotor rooter man. Get some stuff out of your life. I don't know who that is. that's for, but you just need to do that. It's, there's some things so embedded in your heart that it's going to take a rotor rooter to get, get your arteries clear. Only God, can, only Holy Spirit can do that. So get with somebody. Cry out to God. He's going to take care of business. Jack Taylor said it this way. God, I want you to change my mind on every issue which you and I, you and I do not see eye to eye. Hmm. Change my mind. And then a rejoicing heart. Talking about characteristics of a bridal heart. A rejoicing heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. But where is the rejoicing in the church today? Where is the joy and the rejoicing? What's the Bible say? About one sinner who repents? Well, the angels are they're shouting the glory. But what about you and I? Well, you'd be just like me after a while and walk away. I believe if somebody gets saved in this church... Every one of you need to embrace them. Every one of you. My wife ministered a message a couple years ago, I remember. She had one word to, to the, one title message to the, to, to the sermon. It's called rejoice. You know, they booed her down. They didn't know how to rejoice. They didn't want to rejoice. Man, that was a bad day. <laughs> rejoice, rejoice. We don't need to rejoice because the demons are subject to us. We need to rejoice because our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. They're sealed until the day of redemption. They're wa- Come on. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's what the book of James says. James chapter 1 verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Some of you are going through some stuff. Consider it an opportunity... For great joy. I pray the joy of the Lord would be your strength. I pray that that the enemy would not steal that joy. That bridegroom is a joyous bridegroom you're looking at. Look to him and say, Jesus, restore the joy of, of my spirit again. Restore that joy back to me. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Hallelujah. I believe this. Let's finish the work. The Lord has called us to do, and then he'll take us home. Keep your eyes on the bridegroom, because he's got his eyes on you. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand.